Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 25 of the Trap Rock 101 podcast from Pirates and Poets. I am your host, John Burns. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, this week, my guest is the one and only John Frenzy, singer-songwriter, uh, formerly from New Jersey, now living in Florida. Um, this is one of those interviews where uh, the person I'm talking to uh, and I don't have much of a relationship coming into the conversation. You know, uh, a lot of the folks I've talked to for this podcast have been good friends. A few people, uh, a few folks were even people that I consider to be family. Uh, you know, quite a few people that I would consider uh, colleagues, people I work with at different shows and events throughout the year. But there have been a handful of people uh, that uh, I barely know on a personal level. Of course, I know of them and, and their uh, accomplishments and their music, but I really have no personal relationship with them uh, coming into the interview. And those are always wild cards. Uh, sometimes sometimes it's just really hard to find common ground to talk about when you don't have uh, a prior relationship to these interviews. But uh, I'm really happy with the way this interview turned out. Uh, uh, like I was saying, John uh, and I really don't know each other at all. We've, we've worked a couple of shows together over the last few years, but uh, you know we've never sat down and had a drink and, and talked about life or music or anything else uh, until this conversation. So uh, as I said, I'm really happy with the way it turned out. I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, John has had a really interesting uh, career in music, uh, as you'll find out. He has been performing uh, live uh, basically his entire adult life, even even before he was probably technically an adult. Um, songwriting for a long time, and uh, he had a really interesting route to the trap rock and uh, Parrothead world. Uh, basically, he sent in a demo to Doyle Grisham, Coral Reefer's uh, publishing company, and uh, they liked it and invited him to Nashville. And that's kind of how he got into the entire um, trap rock Parrothead world. His other avenue into our community was uh, none other than Alex Leist who uh, we featured in an episode a few weeks ago. So uh, if you want to know more about Alex, we talk about Alex quite a bit in this conversation and about uh, uh, Dennis McCoggy, Jimmy Maraventano, this this whole little community of, of trap rockers that came up out of uh, New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Go back and check out my past interviews with Alex Leist and Dennis McCoggy. Got to get Jimmy in for an interview sometime soon. Uh, so anyway, we talked about that. We talked about... Uh, John moving to Florida, the friendships he developed with Jim Morris and uh, James White, uh, meeting in the mines and lots of different events he's played over the years. Uh, just covered a lot of ground, had a really good time. I really enjoyed talking to John and uh, hope we get to uh, get together and do it in person sometime soon. So uh, anyway, thank you very much. This is episode number 25. Appreciate all the support. We've really gotten a lot of great feedback in the last month, month and a half. People are really enjoying Trap Rock 101, and that makes me happy. Uh, looking forward to seeing many of you uh, this summer and and beyond as life slowly starts to get back to normal. Uh, as more and more people get vaccinated, uh, life starting to get back to normal as COVID-19, uh, I don't want to say goes away, but at least uh, we come we become better protected against it. So looking forward to seeing many of you in person in the coming months. Uh, until then, enjoy Trapper Rock 101 and enjoy my conversation with John Frenzy. So I was lucky enough to have uh, two older brothers and a dad who had great record collections. And uh, I grew up with everything from, uh, uh, you know, big band music and Sinatra up to like, uh, you know, the Beatles and the Stones. And, and then I started uh, in with the, all this, the 70s singer songwriter stuff. And that's what I used to listen to. That's what I grew up listening to. And I was lucky enough to have um, my brother, Mike, my oldest brother, 
who was a very big Jimmy Buffett fan. And he turned me on to uh, Buffett when I was still in high school. He would make me mix cassette tapes and I would, uh, oh. you know, Buffett mixtapes on cassette and I'd play them in my 74 Nova, which was my first car. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I got into it really early, man. And, uh, and I, uh, yeah, so I, that, that's the story there. I, uh, I, I just, you know, I was hooked. I was, I'm, you know, I'm originally from New Jersey. So especially in the, you know, spring, fall and winter, there was a lot of Buffett on the tape deck, you know. <laughs> the escapism was very real for you and people oh, from that part of the world. It hooked me big time. Absolutely hooked me. I mean, it started me dreaming about all the places that he sung about, just like everybody else who hears it, you know. And uh, but, you know, at the time I was I was already playing. I started very young playing in like working bands okay. um, when I was 16 years old. Before I had a driver's license, I was playing like four nights a week, I was working with guys in their mid twenties playing. I was a keyboard player in rock bands and I'd sing and, and, and share the vocal duties with other guys, but I was a keyboard player back then. And, and so we were working all the time. And uh, so, you know, with that, that combination of like learning about Buffett at the same age that I was working in, you know, started to actually work out with, you know, rock, rock and roll bands and stuff. I'm like, Oh man, this is what I want to do. So I knew like, before I had a driver's license, I wanted I wanted to play this kind of music, and and uh, so it was it was it was very very long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what appealed? What what do you think appealed to you specifically about Buffett? Verse you grew up in New Jersey. I'm a big Springsteen fan. Verse Springsteen, yeah. you, you played keyboards. Verse Billy Joe. What really what made Buffett pop to you? Verse some of those more mainstream guys. Um, well, you know, I loved all that stuff that you just talked about. I used to play all that stuff, too. But, you know, I think, you know, growing up in New Jersey, the whole the whole lore of uh, of Florida and the islands and especially, you know, Key West. I mean, that, you know, that's cool. And 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 Jimmy Buffett as an artist um, really fit in with the kind of music that I was listening to. Like I was into the Eagles and Jackson Brown and Jim Croce and CSN and all that kind of 70s singer songwriter stuff. And Buffett like fit right in there, you know? And uh, so it was, it was just like another, another great singer songwriter for me to obsess on. And, and I always loved, I was never a big country music fan, but I always loved country rock, like the birds and like Mike Nesmith's international band and, uh, or national band, I'm sorry. And like all that stuff that merged like that 60s rock and some of it psychedelic with country, you know, like Graham Parsons and the Burrito right. Brothers and all that stuff. Like, I love that stuff. So the fact that there was steel guitar on all these beach songs was just like, man, it checked all the boxes for me. It was it was very <laughs> exciting to hear that. So we're going to come back and talk about that steel guitar on the beach songs in a minute. But uh, what point did you, so you're playing out live, uh, from mm -hmm. a young age, what point did you start writing? Oh, that's actually this. Did you ever have a real day job or? Um, yes, I did. Actually, I had a day job. Um, I mean, I had a couple of of like, you know, part time jobs when I was in high school. But but as soon as I graduated high school, I went to New York City and I and I, I went to school in New York City for um, recording engineering and um and while I was going to school for recording engineering, I got a job working at a designer 
uh, as like, um, I was kind of like a gopher at first. Uh, and the designer <laughs> was, was Michael Kors. So okay. I started working for Michael Kors, who was a, you know, I mean, he's a huge international, internationally known designer now, but back then this is in the uh, mid to late eighties. So I started working for him while I was going to school and, uh, and that kind of, uh, I finished school with my, my recording and engineering deal. And then I continued to work for him full time. So I was a um, production assistant. I would like, I would go all over the garment district in New York city and like match leather and buttons and, and, you know, pick up garments at Saks Fifth Avenue and stuff. I was just, you know, it was like, I did all the stuff that needed to be done. It was pretty amazing. Like, you know, cause he was, you know, even back then, like he was just starting out, but he was, you know, well-known in like big, uh, you know, New York fashion circles and stuff like that. So it was kind of exciting. So I did that for a couple of years. That was, uh, that was my first real kind of full-time gig working in New York city. And then uh, I kind of burned out cause I was young and I didn't know a lot of people in the city and I wasn't even old enough to drink. Um, so I wasn't doing a lot of socializing. So I moved back. I left my gig at Michael Kors, which I, sh- I could shoot myself for now, you know, <laughs> but, uh, I moved back to uh, Northwest New Jersey where I grew up and then went back to school again for radio and television. So and I did that and I got a degree in radio and television. And when that was done, I started, I went back to New York city <laughs> and worked in television for 15 years, but it was never a, full-time gig it was always i was always a freelancer so i would do i would still do the music i was able you know i could kind of hand pick the music stuff that i wanted to do the really good gigs and then the same thing with the uh, you know with the tv stuff I, I work in television and corporate video and all kinds of stuff uh, in and around manhattan so they were my they were my uh you know my my jobs that i had but i've always always done music i, I never didn't play music for you know I mean, since I was 16 years old, I've been playing music for, for at least part of my, you know, my income, if that wow. makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a long time. And that's, I mean, that's a really early to start seriously uh, gigging, I yeah. guess. But uh, it always amazes me, the people who, who really adopt, especially early, that they uh, adopt this work ethic to, to do music full time. Um, uh, unlike a, a guy that I know you were friends with, Jim Morris, who didn't get into it. Oh, yeah, it. sure. You know, he didn't get into it as a profession until pretty late in life. Oh, but absolutely. Then you have folks yeah, like yeah, you that, or, or James White that have done it, that did it their entire life. So, Sure, sure, yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as to say I have a great work ethic. I wish I did. <laughs> if, I, if I did, I'd probably, uh, I'd probably be uh, more successful than I am. Uh, but I, you know, I can't complain. I've been really, really lucky. I've been able to play music for my life, for my living for a long time. So, you know, so far so good, you yeah. know? So, so when did writing your own stuff come into play? In the seventh grade. Wow. Um, so before you playing, were even playing live. Well, no, the same time I was playing live. I mean, so when I was, when I was in the seventh grade, <laughs> so I don't know how old is that? Was I 10 years old? So nine or 10 years old or something like that? Well, uh, in my, in, about 12. My daughter's fifth grade and she's 10. So, yeah. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So, no, you know what? Yeah. So fifth grade, I got a piano. Um, and there's a kind of a story. My brother, Mike, who turned me on the Buffett. This was back when he was still living at home before he went to college and stuff. 
they would take me out on Saturday mornings and we'd go to these used record stores across the river in Pennsylvania from where we lived in New Jersey. And, uh, and one of the first records I bought was Elton John's greatest hits. And I'm like, Oh my God, I want to play piano, you know? So that's, yeah. so, you know, my, my dad was, my my folks were great and, and they got me a, a, a used piano and, uh, and I started taking lessons. And, uh, so that was at nine years old. So, uh, I was nine when I started taking lessons and then, um, by uh, the seventh grade, there were a bunch of kids in my in my grade school, seventh and eighth grade. And then the drummer kid was a little younger that um, we put this little band together and we would play, um, you know, school dances. I, I think we could play for like, you know, we could play for like a half hour. We played yeah. a bunch of Elton John and Beatles songs and stuff. We could play for a half hour. And then and then, you know, that kind of progressed. So that the little school band was together Um for a couple of years. And so during that time, I, I, start, I wrote my first song, which we, which we played in the band. And <laughs> I still have a cassette up, which is pretty funny. So <laughs> you got to put that on the box set one day, man. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's but pretty yeah, cool. So it started really early. And then, you know, I mean, I was always kind of noodling around and I, and I wrote, I wrote stuff, you know, in high school and, um, and I kind of—I don't know. I guess I'm my own worst critic because I—I uh, I never really thought any of it was that good. Like I'd write this stuff, and and I've, I got demos of all this stuff that I recorded, like you know, from the seventh grade, you know, because I had a cassette player. First, I'd record on the boombox, and then in high school, I was recording on a four-track cassette player. And I mean, it's all—you know—all I ever wanted to do was was play music. I mean, that's all I've ever wanted to do since I was nine years old. Yeah. So. Yeah, so so I'm kind of, I've always been really interested in the recording process too. That's why I ended up going to school for uh, recording engineering and stuff like that. So, which has helped me a great great deal in, in making records, you know, in the last twenty years. So, but anyhow, I don't know. Did I answer your question? Uh, not really. Okay, so you answered the question. question? Is, my question was, when did you get into writing? So we answered that uh, very early. Yeah. Yeah. When did yeah, you start? Totally. I guess. You know, when did you start taking it serious as far as stuff you felt like you could play out in public? When did you get serious about making your first record? Um, uh, it was much later, much, much later. Um, I started writing seriously uh, in like 1998, I think it was. And, and keep in mind, so I graduated high school in 1986. So it was more than 10 years later. And I... I mean, and for those 10 years, I played a lot of gigs, thousands of gigs. There were covers, you know, cover gigs and stuff. Yeah. Um, um, but and then I, I finally started to get um, kind of semi-serious about writing, or at least the stuff I was writing, I thought it was good enough to put on a CD. So I remember, I think it was in 1998, I put like a little five song EP together and pressed it on CDs and sold that at gigs. And then, uh, and then in 2000, um, I made my first, you know, proper cd full-length cd and that's where i met doyle and, and and that that all started that whole that whole relationship so yeah so did your stuff always have that buffett trop rock slant to it or did you have more kind of mainstream stuff first no i think um it was more kind of piano-based singer-songwriter stuff i didn't i didn't really start strumming the guitar until much later um you know, when I listened to like the first handful of songs that I wrote that I that ended up on that CD, like in 1998 or whatever, um, 
it's kind of piano, acoustic guitar, bass, kind of Jackson Brown, kind of, uh, uh, you know, I was really into Jerry Jeff Walker. I mean, I still love Jerry Jeff Walker, but I was, you know, obsessed on him for years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of my first record kind of really reflects that. You can hear, uh, you know, some of that in there, you know, and, uh, but, uh, but, but no, I mean, the Buffett thing didn't really come until a couple of years later. Um, you know, around, around 1999, 2000, when I, I made my first record in 2000, like my first real full length record with the, uh, you know, artwork and shrink wraps yeah. and all that stuff. And that was, um, that was not that looking was, back, correct? That was not looking back. Yes. Gotcha. And, and, um, and that is actually still available on iTunes. I only ever made like a hundred copies of that record. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just, you know, the selling at gigs and stuff. And I thought, you know, I wasn't playing festivals or anything in, in 2000. So I um, made 100 copies of that with the intention to sell some at gigs and then to send some out to publishing. And one of those 100 CDs I sent to Gulf Steel Music in Nashville. That was Doyle Grisham's publishing uh, company that he that he owned and shared with his friend, Danny Raspberry, who's another music industry business guy. And um, that's how the relationship, I got a call from Doyle's partner. said, we like these two songs. Would you come to Nashville and record? And um, so basically eight of those 10 songs that were on my first record, I re-recorded with Doyle and are on the second record, completely different um recordings and, and, and arrangements and Doyle's playing all the steel guitar and all the electric guitar on it and stuff. So that's how, that was really my first record that were, you know, I made thousands of copies of that. And yeah. um, so the first one really, that first record that into the, or what was it called? Not looking back. That was like basically a, a, like a really well produced demo CD. You know, I mean, I looked like, it looked like a CD, but then the whole thing went way up. You know, the ante was way up when, when I started working with Doyle in Nashville. So, so that yeah. was my real record. And I think that was 2003. I think that one came out. So, wow. So that's, that's a pretty unique, uh, entryway into all this, I guess, coming at it just almost through blind luck, even, even though it you already knew about was. Buffett and everything. Yeah. I knew about Buffett. I was a huge fan. And I mean, I knew I was sending it to his publishing company. I just never expected to hear from him. And yeah. when, as a matter of fact, when his partner, Danny, called me, um, I thought it was one of my friends screwing around with me. I'm like, no, it's not. Who is it? <laughs> you know, I swear to God. I was, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll never forget that. And he's like, no, 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 no. This was the song. We like it. We want you to come to Nashville. I'm like, okay, sure. So, and then Doyle and I hit it off. And we've been, you know, we've been good friends ever since. So that's been, got almost 20 years. Yeah. So, uh, were you aware of Parrothead Clubs and Meeting of the Minds and all that kind of stuff before that? I was, I was not. Alex Leist, the, the way that I get introduced to Parrotheads, I was a, I was a Buffett fan and I went to shows. But this is really like before the internet and everything, you know? So it wasn't yeah. like you'd go Google Parrotheads or, or, you know, <laughs> or Buffett or whatever. I mean, you weren't Googling anything in, in 1999, right? So, um, or at least I wasn't. So, I was playing, I'll tell you, this, this, this story is pretty cool. I was playing a Holiday Inn lounge in central New Jersey <laughs> by myself, right? By myself, playing a little piano, and I started strumming guitar by then. So I was playing a bunch of old Buffett and, and Jerry Jeff Walker songs and stuff, and this guy walks up to me and he goes, 
hey, you just played a whole bunch of obscure Buffett. I'm like, yeah, I love that stuff, you know. And nobody was doing that stuff in Jersey. And I was just doing it for myself, you know. Right. And I, I, I always was lucky enough to just kind of play what I liked and kind of kind of snuck by, you know. <laughs> and uh, so the guy was Alex Leist. He's like, and I didn't, I mean, I didn't know him then. I didn't even know there was anything called the Parrothead Club. So he came up to me and said, that was great. He said, how'd you like to come to Key West and play? And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, right. Who's this guy? So he gave me his card. <laughs> so I called him and it turns out like he lived in the same town as me in New Jersey. And uh, so we got together and uh, he's like, oh, yeah. And he says, I, you know, I'm part of this Meeting in the Minds Festival and, and we have Parrothead clubs from all over the country come down. And I'm like, what? Like my mind was just exploding, you know, and yeah. I'm like, this is great. I mean, there's actually a you know, actually a group of people who would want to hear me sing these songs, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so Alex and I became very good friends. And then we wrote, we wrote a couple of, uh, we wrote a couple of songs that, uh, that got published by Doyle's, you know, Miranda, not looking back full time dream. They're all songs that I wrote with Alex. And, uh, okay. I didn't realize then, Alex is co-writer on. Yeah. Anything, so yeah, he, we wrote those three songs together and, uh, Actually, I think all three of those songs were his ideas. And he, had, wow. you know, he, was, uh, he manages a, a, a car dealership in Flemington, New Jersey, in Central Jersey. In fact, the night I met him at the Holiday Inn Bar, he was coming home from work, just stopped for a beer, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, luck, I was lucky. I've always been very lucky. I, 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 I just have been like, I'm not sure. I, I don't know why, but I've just been really lucky to step in it. But um, so, yeah, so we wrote, we wrote those couple of songs together and uh and uh miranda uh w- was the first one that got any real attention radio margaritaville started playing it which was just like again like wow this is cool you know and doyle i mean you know doyle played all the guitar parts and all the steel guitar parts on it and it, it was a uh, it was kind of a fun record you know and it came out good and, and uh yeah that was a real it was a real good first record for me to introduce me to parrot heads because it had a little bit of beach stuff in it. Not a lot. Yeah. I think really like two of the songs were, were, were kind of beachy, but they were really kind of country, you know, the, it was a real country record. Yeah. And the other stuff were real kind of like, you know, like, um, introspective singer songwriter kind of stuff, but, but it had steel guitar and it sounded, you know, it sounded a little bit like the Eagles, a little bit like old Jimmy Buffett and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, there we go. And then from there, you were in Meeting of the Minds, and we all know that getting to play Meeting of the Minds leads to all the other stuff. So, yeah, you know what? That's it's pretty cool, and this is kind of cool too. Uh, the first time I went, I played Meeting of the Minds. I went and and I played the Cast Marina on the little beach stage, and back then it was just a little, you know, it was a little little square in the sand. Yeah, and uh, and. Uh, and the next year, or maybe it was two years after that, um, I asked Doyle if he wanted to come. And Doyle had never been to Key West before, before what? he came and played. Yeah. He, all, those, <laughs> all those records that he played on, they were all recorded in Nashville. Yeah. Even the stuff, like, even the stuff that uh, he recorded on the Buffett's, Buffett's records and stuff, like, before 2000, like, he recorded in his home studio. Doyle used to be, I mean, Doyle's played with everybody in country music for like the last 50 years. I mean, he's played with George Jones. He played on all the Randy Travis records. He's played on 
with legendary people in addition to playing with Buffett. And he was also uh, an engineer at a huge recording studio called Fireside in, in Nashville. So anyhow, he would record his own parts in Nashville and just send them to, to Mac or, or Utley or whoever was producing that record. Yeah. And uh, he has since been down a couple of times to record at Shrimp Boat. But, um, but yeah, so, so I was able to bring Doyle to Key West <laughs> for the first time, and he's been there every year since, so it's kind That's of That's wild. Yeah, we have a good time. I just talked to him this morning, as a matter of fact. So, uh, yeah, uh, he's, a great, he's a great guy, man. Yeah, uh, you know, as, uh, as going through the years, I've heard so many people talk about Doyle, and by people I mean, you know, regular fans, parrot heads, mm-hmm. about how uh, he's really one of, if not the most personable Coral Reaver, and they're they're all personal. I don't mean to say that, but it's yeah. Like no, Coral I know is, exactly what you mean. You know, oh, he is just he is like salt of the earth, man. He is like such a regular guy. Like you can have a conversation with Doyle, and he is sincerely interested in what you're saying. You know, especially if you're having a drink with him. You know, we can talk for hours. And, <laughs> and he's he really is. He's a great guy, and you're absolutely right. You know, like all those guys. Like I've I've been lucky enough to you know play at some point with almost all of the reefers. Uh, current and a lot of the older ones too. And they're all just the nicest people. And, you know, I mean, I, I, you would think, uh, well, I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, you know, Jimmy wants to surround himself with, with, with good people. And he, and he does. I mean, in addition to being like amazing musicians, they're all, they're all really nice people. Right. So my, uh, my Doyle Grisham story is very short. One night, uh, myself and Kai, not Kai, uh, one of, one of Donnie Brewer's sons and I were selling merchandise for Drop Dead Dangerous at the Casa. And yeah. of course, Donnie's son was 22, 23 at the time. Uh, and and he taps me on the shoulder. He goes, hey, JB, this guy says he's with the band and wants to know where his merch is supposed to go. <laughs> I turn around and it's Doyle and Doyle has like an armful of T-shirts or something. I don't yeah, know right, right, right. And I was like, I was like, dude. He's like with the band, like, you know, this is me guys with the band. And I was like, Doyle, I don't have a clue where your merch is supposed to go, man. But it was just funny. You know, Donnie's son. That's awesome. Who, it was yeah. the first time at Key West, you know, first time. Oh, right. Sure he didn't this, young this kid, guy sure. says he's with the band. <laughs> uh, it was pretty funny. That's great. That was great. So speaking of bands, you, you talked about playing, you know, in full bands when you were younger. Mm-hmm. To the best of my knowledge, since I've been around 2005 or so, you've never really worked in a band you've never had a band backing you up or no no i do i do actually um i would say the majority of what i do is uh solo stuff or duo stuff um i do a lot of currently i do a lot of work with roger bartlett who was coral reefer number one right um he lives in florida now he lived in new york city for 40 years and he lives in florida now uh, not far from where i am and, and we play together all the time but so, but even, even way back, like 10, I, I don't remember when it was, but um, we, I used to put bands together for Meeting of the Minds. Like we played, we opened for uh, Club Trini a couple of times. No, no, no. We played with Club Trini. I'm trying to think. We had a band. I had a four piece band and then we'd have Doyle. So it was a five piece, including myself. It was like me, drummer, bass player, guitar player. So it was me on guitar drums, bass, lead guitar, and Doyle. So we had this five-piece band that we played 
band shows almost every year for like the last 10 years at Meeting of the Minds. Okay. Like we did the, the uh, like they do the album hour where they recreate the Buffett album. And then we played the Street Fest two or three years where okay. we played, you know, Matt came up and played with us. And then like I do band stuff throughout the year too. Like we do a big thing up in Annapolis every year. We do a festival in Miami uh, and we do like, you know, scattered kind of corporate events and stuff like that. So, okay. Well, I've I, totally missed that because when I was you know, yeah. thinking about this interview, I was thinking, man, and I, I knew you'd done the meeting of the mind stuff, but I was thinking, you know, weekend, week out working. I didn't think I could ever remember hearing about you doing a band show. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't so. do any band shows for like regular gigs. They're all like, you know, gigs with budgets, you know, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. <laughs> oh, it is. It's a lot of work. And, you know, the guys in my band are scattered around. I mean, they're scattered around Florida, so it's yeah. it's it takes a lot to get us together, you know. So, uh, but we but we have I've got a working with the same drummer and bass player now for a couple of years, um, and, and Roger's been part of it since he moved to Florida, uh, which is three or four years now. So, yeah, it's cool. It's a cool. It's a cool group of guys. I love. I, we, I wish we could play together all the time, but yeah, it's just you know you know how it is money. Yeah, exactly. Money and, you know, and everybody does other things, too, you know. So, like, like my drummer, Willie, or my drummer, the drummer that I'm lucky enough to have work <laughs> these gigs with us is in Orlando. And he has a studio. He's recording. He plays with, like, five other bands. And he used to play. I think he was used to be on the road with Chubby Checker. Yeah. And, I mean, he's so he's I mean, it's hard to get him, you know. So I have to like if I want him, I know, like, I, I have to book him every year for. September when we go up to Annapolis and play this big maritime museum show. And then I have to book him. And I always try and book him like a year in advance. Like as soon as I get the date for the gig, I'm like, Willie, please hold this date for me. You know? Yeah. So anyhow. Yeah. So cool. Well, you know, you're, show, you're from New Jersey. Uh, like you talked about, yep. you know, Alex, you just randomly run into Alex. It's a, mm -hmm. it's interesting to me how many, and I don't know how close, you know, you are to Dennis McCaughey, who's in Pennsylvania, not that far away. I love away. Dennis. Yeah, Dennis is you a know, buddy of mine. Jimmy Mary Mantano, Jimmy the Parrots. How much yep. of our little community has come out of, you know, eastern Pennsylvania, New Jersey, I guess. It's kind of kind of crazy when yeah, you start thinking sure. about it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's probably has probably has a lot to do with Alex. Alex, um, you know, he was really active in the local parrot hit clubs and like say we're where I grew up in North, there was no parrot hit club in Northwest New Jersey, where I was. The closest one was across the river, about 20 miles West. And uh, there were the, the pirates. And uh, so Alex was part of that club. And then they'd have bigger events where like where Dennis Bacaghi is and, and Heather uh, Vidal and um, uh, it was Randy Zimmerman. who used to play with, with Dennis. They all live out in, Lancaster, that area, which is like two hours from where I live. Yeah. And, um, and then, uh, and, and Jimmy Maraventano was a, a friend of mine. Jimmy lived, I mean, I could ride my bike to Jimmy Maraventano's house where, from where I lived in Jersey. Wow. I was right, right between Alex and Jimmy Maraventano. And I didn't know either of those guys until I met Alex, you know? Wow. So, yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we, so it's, yeah, it's, it's weird. And so I, I think Alex had a lot to do with, with introducing those people to, um, you know, to, to Key West and meeting in the minds and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's just been interesting to me how, as I've done this podcast and as I, you know, as I've just gotten to know people in general, uh, the, the blind luck that's involved in so much of this, you know, absolutely. Um, <laughs> absolutely. Kelly McGuire, Kelly McGuire found out about all this because he, you know, 
was working at a boat shop and Jerry Diaz's sister walked in when oh, really? I mean, yeah, you know, it, you hear about all these just crazy ways that people meet each other and and yep. you know, 20 25 years later everybody's still going strong and and big. I know it's, it's crazy. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is amazing. It really is. It's just it's it's it, I I don't know. I I'm not sure what I believe, but man, I think that some of this stuff was kind of meant to be, you know. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So, that's that's what I tell cool. uh that's what I tell some of my buddies. I'm like, you know, we all ended up together for a reason. That's because nobody else would have all of us. You know? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could be right there. <laughs> so, uh, at what point did you get serious about moving to Florida? That these stories always uh, interest me. Uh, um, I, I grew I, up in Arkansas and moved to Texas, probably for a lot of the reasons you're about to say. I'd be willing to bet, but I want to hear it from you. Well, um, Jimmy Jimmy Buffett had a lot to do with it. I mean, I started exactly. dream, started dreaming about. <laughs> You know, started dreaming about Florida and Key West and, and when I was still up, you know, when I was young, like we talked about, like when I was in high school. And so that was always there. Like, oh, man, I want to go. And then, of course, I visited and I've had family in Florida for, oh, God, over 40 years. So I would come here every year and visit with them. And then about the same time I fir- made my first record, I'd start coming down here and playing like little shows around Florida when I'd come down to visit. Um but uh, we, we moved to Florida 14 years ago. In fact, it's, next month will be exactly 14 years. Um, and I think my wife just got tired of, uh, of hearing me bitch. <laughs> Oops, sorry, can I say that? <laughs> That's so perfectly fine. She, she, uh, you know, she, I, I was like, oh, man, we should just move to Florida. And she doesn't, she doesn't really take any, any shit. So she just said, well, shut up and just let's do it. Put the house up for sale and let's do it. So I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, you can do that. You know, I'm kind of slow sometimes yeah. and uh she's one to kind of like take the bull by the horn so so we did you know we moved to florida and uh i had i had already played um i had already played a couple of events at um margaritaville orlando which is in universal city walk so i knew some people i kind of reached out to them I'm like hey i'm gonna be moving to florida i'd really love to play there you know and and so um they were really kind and they gave me uh, some work before I ever moved here. So I knew that I was coming down here and had some work yeah. and, uh, and that turned into like three or four days a week for nine years. I played at Margaritaville um, in city walk in Orlando, which was really, really cool. So, uh, and my wife, uh, as soon as the, the week we got here, she, she got a teaching job. My wife is a Montessori um, teacher, teaches uh, fourth, fifth and sixth grade kids. So, um, so anyhow, so yeah, that's how we got to Florida, you know, sold the house, came down. It's pretty yeah. cool. Did you keep the dog? Yes. <laughs> oh, I, I got so much grief about that, man. I was just like, like, I don't know. What, what are we going to do? Like, we're going to, we, because we, for, when we moved here, we moved in with relatives temporarily while we looked for a house and we looked around and stuff. So I'm like, oh my God, I can't, I know she's got two cats. I can't bring the dog. That's not going to work out. So it actually worked out. You know, I got to keep the dog. <laughs> In fact, I remember, I'll never forget driving a, I don't know, what's the biggest rider truck you can, you can drive? Like a 36 foot? Is that, is that what those big box trucks are? Like Probably not even that big. Yeah. Uh, like any, 30, I, don't I don't know. It was the biggest one I could rent. And I, you know, and I had, it was packed with all our crap. And my wife and, and my son at the time was two years old. And uh, they were already here in Florida. I went back up to get the stuff, you know. So I had the dog on the seat, on the big bench seat, driving the rider truck all the way down to Florida from New Jersey. That was a, that was, wow. that was something special. <laughs> I'll never forget that. 
Hey y'all, this is Kitty Stedman from Drop Dead Dangerous. I want to thank you for listening to Trop Rock 101 podcast with Pirates and Poets. Pirates and Poets is a crucial platform for independent artists and writers, and they have been working tirelessly to make sure that we make it through this difficult time. Please show them your support as well by visiting piratesandpoets.net slash store or piratesandpoets.net slash donate. Cheers, y'all. So at that point, were, were you in tight yet with... Sonny Jim and Jim Morrison, all those folks or you know. Yeah. Well, with James, yeah, with Sonny Jim for sure. I had again, I met uh James through Alex. Yeah. And uh and we became fast friends. In fact, James had before when he knew I was moving to Florida, he said, Oh yeah, I can I can hook you up and help you with some gigs and stuff like that. And uh in fact I just talked to James today. Um just talked to him this this morning. But I love um, the fact yeah. that you called him James. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's his name, you know. I mean, it is. <laughs> is Sonny Jim is his stage name, you know. Not a lot of people know that. I mean, Sonny I, uh, Jim is his stage name, and you know, I, uh, and he's I'm, the nicest. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, I mean, when I first met him, I'm like, this guy cannot be this mellow and this nice. I mean, there's got to be some. Yeah, I'm from Jersey, you know, so I can, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm like, I don't believe anything, and and uh, but I'm like, yeah, like he is, you know, James is his nice a human being as was ever created. That's like him. It's like, man, I don't know how he does it, but yeah, that's him. But yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody, you know, he's James. That he's is James. The truth. Is, yeah. So yeah, you he's know, a great, great guy. I, uh, I call him James, you know, and, uh, he was, he was here last month. He played some shows for us in Texas last mm-hmm. month. And, uh, I tell people, I'm like, you know, everybody called magic Johnson, magic Johnson, except like, you know, Kareem and Larry Bird, they called him Irvin. So if you want to be cool, oh, yeah, yeah, right. exactly. you call him James. <laughs> well, I don't, you know what? I'm, I'm, I've always been uncomfortable calling him Sonny Jim. Cause when he, I think when he introduced himself to me, he's like, hi, I'm James White. I'm like, I think I probably said, do you prefer James? He says, well, you know, it's yeah. my name. So anyhow, and I know that, uh, well, you know, it's funny. I'm thinking about it now. I never really thought about it, but um, Jim Morris used to call him, Sonny Jim. I don't know that he called him James. Huh. I don't think I ever heard Jim utter the word James. I could be wrong. Interesting. Maybe, I'm just trying to think because we did a lot of the, the th- once I moved to Florida, Jim, Morris, James, and I did a lot of like the three of us together, the three amigos or whatever yeah. before it was something else, you know, and, and, uh, and, but anyhow, yeah. So I'm just going off on a tangent. I'm sorry. Oh, it's fine. I, I mean, I was going to ask you. I've I've heard these stories about the uh, the week in Key West when you and James and Jim Morris went down there, <laughs> played Margaritaville, and stayed in the band room. So yeah. Oh, that was crazy fun. We had so much fun, and our our <laughs> our intention. You know, we had big ideas and big plans. We were going to write all week, right? So. <laughs> We didn't. You know, we drank and, and, and ate and played all week, you know. And uh, and on the way home, Jim's driving his Suburban and James is in the front seat. And I'm sitting in the back seat with a 12-pack or whatever we had, strumming one of those little <laughs> Martin backpackers. And I'm like, didn't we tell our wives we were going to write while we were down here? And Jim's like, oh, yeah, we better write a song. So we wrote a song on the way. We wrote the Ballad of Coconut Pete on the drive back from Key West to uh, – to uh let's see punta gorda where, where jim lived at the time so yeah anyhow <laughs> wow yeah so uh it's fun what uh what are some of your favorite uh events i mean I, I know that like a lot of folks you get to travel a lot before covid hopefully that's coming back soon i hope so what's, yeah. uh, you know 
What are some events and places and tours that really stick out when you think about the last 20 years? Well, I mean, number one, meeting of the minds. That's been meeting of the minds has been everything to me. I mean, the people that I've met, you know, the um, I've just made so many contacts and and people's generosity down there is just unbelievable. I mean, you know, hey, will you, would you consider coming to play? I'm like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll play for 20 people at a house concert. I'm happy to play. And um, so, yeah, I mean, so meeting of the minds for sure. Um, there's an event that I have been doing and helping kind of put together for the last, well, it's got to be. I started when I, it's got at least 15 years. I've been in Annapolis Maritime, uh, in Annapolis, Maryland. It's called the Annapolis Maritime Museum Beach Bash. And we do it every September. This year, it's going to be September 19th. And we've had, uh, it's always, that's one of the gigs where it's my full band. And then we'll bring Doyle. And we've had, Mike Otley joined us a number of years. Um, Pete Mayer, Brendan Mayer, Scott Kirby have joined us for the last couple of years. Um, Keith Sykes has come up and done it with us a couple wow. of times. Roger Bartlett's always part of my band. We go up there. Um, so that's a great event. That's a really, really great event. And in Annapolis every year, that's a one day, a one day, all day. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful event. Um, one of the other ones I'm, I, I really, really love is one in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. It's called Music Fest. Uh, M-U-S-I-K Fest, F-E-S-T, Music Fest. It's the largest free festival in the country, I think. It goes 11 days, and they have all kinds of stages all over the town. It's so well run, and they have people like, like they got like little guys like me, and then, you know, like CSN or Willie Nelson. Like last year, I was scheduled to play last year in 2020, and I was playing a um, right, like a medium stage, like in the middle of the afternoon. And then that night on the big stage across the field, like Willie Nelson was going to play, Wow, you know, and that was all canceled. But so that's a great event. And my fingers are crossed for that. I, that's, they, I think it's going to happen this year. So I'll get to play that again uh, awesome. in August up in Pennsylvania. So that's an amazing event. Um, man, so many of them, man. I, I remember playing out at the, at the Parrothead events in California and, uh, oh, man, the one we did in, in New Orleans, or I'm sorry, uh, in Nevada at Las Vegas every year that we used to do at the Hooters Casino, that was great fun. Um, and then I, one of my favorites has always been six-string music, man. That was such a great, a great event. I mean, it was a real songwriter's event, you know? I and mean, that's where right. I met Keith Sykes sitting at the bar. I'm like, hey, I'm a huge fan. Anyhow, it was cool. I, I you know, and there's so many of them. I mean, that's that's the the amazing thing about the Paraday clubs and like the offshoots and all that. I mean, they're like so well organized and they put on really really great events. You know, and um, you know, we're, we've 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 done a couple small ones here last not last summer but the summer before. Um, I put on an event down here with my buddy Aaron Schurz called Summer Sun Song Fest, and it was a three day event we did over in St. Pete Beach. Actually, it was in Treasure Island, which is a little part of St. Pete Beach yeah. at a hotel on the beach. And that was really cool. And we were going to do it again last year, but we couldn't. And then this year, it's too late. We don't really know. So I don't think we may do something smaller in St. Pete. So, you know, I, I, there's, there's so many of them. I, I think anywhere that you, you put some, some good musicians, uh, you know, that, that, are, that are in the genre, I think the people will come, you know. Yes, so for sure. 
so, so uh, Aaron, I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of them. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, there's no way you can remember all of them, you know, especially as long as you've been doing it. So, yeah, oh, yeah. I was going to ask you about Aaron. He was on my list because it's kind of, you know, you talk about how you got into this. Alex just kind of, you know, plucked you up and threw you into it. And then you've met so many people. Uh, it, in your case, I guess it kind of came full circle and that eventually you got to bring Aaron into all this. Yeah, exactly. And now, I mean, you know, his his career, obviously, he did a lot of great stuff in Nashville before he. Sure dropped into our world but he's uh he's really had a nice run last couple of years in the parrothead oh yeah there. well he deserves it he's super talented man i mean i mean that's that's one of the uh sorry i'm getting a call i'm gonna decline that call <laughs> um so yeah I, I, that's another festival that i forgot to mention key west songwriters festival that's one of the greatest festivals i mean i've you know all those songwriter festivals pensacola beach uh 30a uh, Key West Songwriters Festival, uh, the one in Memphis. I used to play the one in Memphis with Keith Sykes. But anyhow, so so yeah, I mean, I it, the, it was a chance meeting at Aaron with Aaron. I mean, I was scheduled to play like a Sunday morning at the Smoke and Tuna uh, during Key West Songwriters Festival, yeah. and you know, they put those, you know, they put them together. They're all like um, they're songwriters around, so there'd be two, three, four, five, whatever. You know, most of them are three or four people. Well, yeah, this one for Sunday morning was just me and Aaron Scherz. We had never met. We had never heard each other's material. And um, we just hit it off on stage. In fact, during that first day that we met on that stage, I kind of leaned over. And I'm like, what are you doing in November? And he probably <laughs> thinks I'm a nut job because he doesn't know me. You know, we're both like just slamming rum drinks all all morning. Right. And uh and, and I'm like, I was, it was, it was a really good, good experience because um, by that time playing Key West Songwriters Festival, a lot of the parrot heads started to come and participate. And, you know, I mean, to came to, to, to be part of it, to watch the shows and stuff. And I knew a lot of people in Key West. So Sunday morning, my show on Sunday morning was like really well attended. And I, so I kind of like, you see all these people? So they're all parrot heads. They'll be here in November with like another couple thousand of them. His eyes got big. You know? <laughs> so he's like, I guess, you know, I didn't, he didn't know what to think of it, but you know, we, we, we kept in touch and talked, talked about it over the, the next couple of months. And I'm like, you got to come down, man. And because yeah. he's, a, I mean, he's a big Buffett fan too. You know, his mom, he grew up with that. His mom, you know, his mom's a, a huge Buffett fan. And uh, so, yeah, it was pretty cool. It was really cool to, well, number one, he's a super nice guy. Uh, number two, like we, we shared all the same musical kind of background, what we enjoyed. And, um, and three, he's like incredibly talented. So, um, so yeah, I'm like, oh, I, I couldn't wait to introduce him to these people because he was already writing all these beach songs. Yeah. And they're the ones that weren't getting cut in Nashville. You know, they're the ones that he just was, was making and putting on his records and um, not that he wasn't hoping for a Kenny Chesney cut, but it didn't happen, you know? Yeah. So his, his other songs, his country tunes were getting cut, but his beach songs weren't. I'm like, these parrot heads will absolutely love your tunes. I knew it. And uh, so I'm glad he's part of it. I'm glad he's he's successful. He deserves it, man. He's a hard, hardworking kid. Yeah. And, well, I guess he's not a kid anymore, but he's younger than I am. <laughs> but he's really hardworking. He's a really good person. And uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm really happy for him. It's the same thing goes with like Corcoran. Like I wrote a couple of albums worth of material with Tom Corcoran, you know, and I met him in Key West at Meeting in the Minds. I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, whenever I met him. And, and we just kind of an incredibly interesting person. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he's just stories. 
he has the, the most incredible memory in a person that I've ever met. It's unbelievable. Like he can remember stuff from like the sixties when he was a Naval officer, you know, <laughs> and going into port and getting his first Jimi Hendrix album and stuff. I'm like, unbelievable stuff. Like he is, his mind is incredible. And, uh, and he's super, again, another like amazingly talented person. Like that's, you know, that's kind of like my MO, you know, I try and hook up with people who are way more talented than I am and we can <laughs> kind of create stuff together. So it helps, you know, yeah. it's like with Corcoran, he was a great lyricist and we wrote all those songs together and Aaron Schurz is like, you, I can like, I, I'm really good at coming up with like lines or titles or ideas and stuff. And I've got like, you know, an iPhone full of that crap. But I, Aaron and I could get on a Facebook or what do you call it, a FaceTime or a, a Zoom call or something, and we can write a song in two hours. I mean, yeah. it's just it's easy because he's because he's a professional and he's so talented at that, you know. So so I've just been really lucky to, to be able to work with people like that. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's been a really interesting, you know, just in the last heck three years now, the the Nashville heavy hitters that have kind of stepped into this world. You know, Paul Overstreet showed up in Key West a few years ago. Oh, yeah. And that yeah, was absolutely. that was insane, uh, you know, when, when he showed up. But uh I remember my, talking to Paul I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh I understand that Billy Dean is uh about to put out a quote trop rock album and is yep. looking to come into Key West this fall. Uh he was almost he almost he was he was wanted to come last year. And uh and, and uh, yeah so I mean I met Paul I met Paul Overstreet on the beach in Grand Cayman like 15 years ago. Wow. Where J- James and I were playing on the beach in Grand Cayman. We had taken like a fan cruise there and Paul wandered out because he has, a, you know, he lives, he has a house there. And uh, anyhow, long story short. And then I met him again in, at Key West Songwriters Festival because he played that almost every year for a number of years. So when, um, when he, when he made this, this, that incredible, uh, you know, beach album that he put out. Um, and, uh, we were talking about it and stuff. And, uh, and, uh, I forget how it, I forget how it happened that he wanted to come down, but we, I kind of reached out to him like, Oh, you just could just come up and then I'll kind of introduce you to the, so I brought him up. We, we, it was my whole band and we were playing with like, it was Utley and Doyle and Eric Darkin was there. It was my band and with a bunch of reefers on the big stage at Meaning of the Minds, and we uh, we learned um, somewhere in the Caribbean and um, some beach, I think it was. So we, yeah. the, our band learned that, and then we put the charts in front of Doyle and Utley, and then Paul came out and played. I'm like, I'd like to introduce you to Paul Overstreet, you know, and like because it was a great crowd at the Casa Marina, you know. So yeah, so and then he was kind enough to reciprocate, and he did the. Uh, the uh, the thing at the the little the little tiny space the little uh, listening room in the theater I forget what it's called uh, I can't remember played. the name of it but yeah yeah you know what I mean right they, yeah he he played there then the was the next year I think or maybe it was the same year I thought no, it, I was it was the same year because was, was it the same year I can't remember it was uh yeah because he uh, he played for our Paris and Poets shows uh, that year oh but cool this, yeah yeah the craziest thing in, my, in probably my whole life I'm sitting at a bar and I get a text message and it says um. Uh, hi, my name is Julie Overstreet. My husband's Paul Overstreet. I understand right. that you put on shows in Key West. 
Well, we'd love to play for you. Uh, also, if you don't know who Paul is, Google him. I'm like, I know who the hell Paul yeah, Overstreet right, right. is. Sure, sure. And for like a week, I, I, you know, would occasionally text back and forth with this person because I was, mm-hmm. like you were said earlier, I was sure it was somebody just screwing with me, you know. Like. <laughs> no, Julie's awesome. Yeah, yeah. she's the businessman. You know, Paul is like the fool of the business. He's just like, yeah. but, uh, yeah. but no, yeah. I mean, again, you know, crazy crazy talent and like real nice people so yep that's yeah. the uh, two ingredients right there yeah it helps it definitely helps you know so so what else well, you got i appreciate you doing this you know uh I, pleasure, I, I had forgotten for i had forgotten about this but uh you know damn it earl and i did the pirates and poets podcast for like three years we did 150 episodes there was mm-hmm. exactly one episode that i was not a part of and it was when Earl interviewed you. <laughs> when I was in Texas. Yes. I think I had yeah, my kids I mean, or had a gig with Jerry that night or whatever. But but yeah. No kidding. Really? Yep. That's the only one? <laughs> that was the only one I ever did where I was not involved. So there, oh, I probably funny. did 30 or 40 of them without Earl. But that was the only one he ever did without me. So Really? Oh, <laughs> yeah. wow. That's why. Yeah, I remember that. I was down. Uh, was that with Aaron that year? No, that was before. You know, I remember that. I was down playing shows. And Aaron was actually down there meeting his family. His mom still lived in Texas at the time. wasn't far. What, yeah. what was that bar down on the coast? T-Bone Toms. Um, T-Bone Toms. Yeah. Aaron. I, I am a half T-Bone mile from Tom's. T-Bone Toms right now. So are you really? Oh, yeah. that's cool. What a great area. But yeah. So I, yeah. Anyhow. Yeah. I got know. to thinking about that. So, but yeah, it's nice to, uh, to, you know, to finally get you, it's a new podcast, new concept, but it's, it's nice to finally really get to talk to you some and uh so we always oh, end these with some rapid fire questions if you are <laughs> okay this one okay and it's it's acceptable to give you know two or three answers on some of these so okay uh favorite jimmy buffett song death of an unpopular poet that's like i need to go back and add all these up but i think that might be the winner right now so Oh, really? Everybody's favorite song? Not everybody, but I bet out of 25 episodes now, probably eight or 10 people have said that. So, yeah. I, I could talk to you for 25 minutes about that song, but <laughs> well, I won't. <laughs> we could talk about it for a minute or two. I don't care. So, Well, I mean, it's it's a great song. Uh, you know, it's written about the poet, Kenneth Patchen, I think it is. But all that stuff that sounds like strings and stuff on that, mm-hmm. that's that's Doyle multi-tracking all kinds of steel guitar and a moog synthesizer that's what all that stuff is behind jimmy and the guitar so it's you know it sounds like strings and all this stuff i remember i mean that's one of the you know i love talking like studio stuff with doyle because he gives (laughs) me all the you know this is how we did it back then and stuff so but it's a it's a great song i mean i have so many favorite buffett songs but that's that's one that comes to mind i love i still whoops Oops, sorry. The phone went over. Sorry about that. I dropped my phone. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, that's that's definitely. I, I love that song. That's probably one of my favorites. Didn't sure. uh, Doyle pull the synthesizer trick for Come Monday as well? I don't know that there's any synth on Come Monday. That might, well, I, I think that's th- real strings. Actually. Okay, but that but Doyle's that's Doyle Steel. Obviously, that's yeah. him doing the steel guitar solo. Okay, you I, know, I, I think I, that's real real strings on that where they they recorded the string section after it. I okay. think. We're going to have to investigate that then. Yeah, yeah. I've heard yeah. it the other way, so we'll find out. All right. What is your favorite cocktail? Rum and pineapple juice. I don't know if it has a name. I mean, uh, it sounds like I you used should to just probably write a song about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. I got a couple songs with rum in them, but uh, 
yeah, I mean, I like red, I drink a lot of red wine. Um, I like rum, Mount yeah. Gay, Mount Gay, the darker, the darker Mount Gay Eclipse. I like that. And, uh, or, uh, I mean, I love, I love beer too, but yeah, but I would say if it was a cocktail, it would be, um, a rum drink, probably like a real simple rum and pineapple juice with a, with a wedge of lime in there. All right. So, uh, your favorite trap rock song by an independent songwriter. So like Jimmy, all them are not eligible here. Right. Sure. Um, my favorite song. Oh gosh. Here's where you're going to have to edit. Um, I got a couple, um, First one that comes to mind is James White, Sonny Jim's Sky, Sand, Water, Moon. I love that song. Um, then Jim Morris has a song called Writer Guy. Yes. Nancy. I love mm-hmm. that song. I, I play that song now. And uh, God, there's Kelly McGuire had a song. Oh, my God. What was it called? It was just a great country song. I can't, I can't remember what it was called. He always wanted me to sing it. I thought it was such a great tune. No, I'm not going to try to guess because he's got too many to try to guess. I know, really. Um, um, Gosh, I feel I I feel like I'm I'm not. You can't go wrong with James and Jim. So yeah, James and Jim for sure. You know, and they're songs that I kind of really lived with for years because we would do so many shows together. But I would sing harmony or play piano or whatever. I mean, we you know we played together so much that I really, I really, I really love those songs. I think, um, um, not, not, not necessarily a song, but I mean, some of my favorite artists, um, gosh, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm going on a tangent. All right. So, so this will be a, this will be a simple question. Uh, Kenny Chesney or Bob Marley? Bob Marley. It's a landslide on that one. Yeah, Kenny I love Kenny Chesney too. I really do, especially his beachy stuff. Yeah, the uh, I tell people all the time that uh, the Kenny Chesney "Be As You Are" album, like two thousand four, I've referred to that as the beach album. Like people who know me, well oh, yeah, know yeah, When I say sure. the beach album, that is probably the best Jimmy Buffett album ever made, even though it's not a Jimmy <laughs> Buffett album. <laughs> well, that's what he wants to do. So you know what? Yeah. It's good for him. You know. All right. You're a Florida resident now, so uh, what's your favorite beach to hang out at and visit? Oh, St. Pete Beach, without question. And actually, I have a specific part of that beach. St. Pete Beach is on the Gulf Coast. It's broken up into little little sections, you know. Treasure Island is beautiful. But if you follow St. Pete Beach on a map all the way down to the very tip where the road ends, it's called Passa Grill. P-A-S-S-A-G-R-I-L-L-E, Pass and Grill. And it's it's just beautiful down there. I play down there a couple times a month and right on the beach. And it's just it's just so chill and relaxing. I love it. I love the Gulf Coast. I just love the Gulf Coast. I mean, better than like Caribbean islands that I've been to without question. Hmm. I, uh, yeah, I'm a Gulf Coast guy. I work on yeah. Galveston Island. Our water's not nearly as pretty as y'all's over there, but uh, mm-hmm. I agree with the basic sentiment. So, Oh, yeah, for sure. So uh, what is a book that you think everyone should check out and read? Mile Marker Zero by Bill McKean. Okay. Unbelievable. If you are a 
Jimmy Buffett fan, a fan of Key West. It, it's just, it's uh, Key West in the 70s. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. William McKean, Mile Marker Zero. All right. I'm going to put that on my list to check out because you answered that. Like, oh, hey, yeah. You without were on question. It, so. I mean, you know, I mean, in, in terms of, in terms of our audience who we're speaking to on this podcast, I yeah. think that would be a, uh, an excellent suggestion. All right. So uh, your favorite Buffett album, full album. Oh, boy. That's really hard. <laughs> I love I love white sport coat and a pink crustacean. I love three quarter time. I love Florida's kind of the mid period Buffett. That's one of my favorite records. Yeah, um, man, I don't know. I can't pick one. I just I can't I can't pick <laughs> one. There's so many of them that that I I just love so much. All right, here's the uh, the big question, and I I think the first couple of them are going to be easy for you, but we'll see where you go from there. Uh, if you were going to create a Mount Rushmore of independent trap rock artists. So again, Jimmy and the Coral Reavers are not eligible. Right. Uh, what four faces are you going to put up there? Jim Morris, James White, Kelly McGuire, and Rob Mel. Dude, you knocked, nobody's knocked it out that fast before. Even people who've done That's their homework. Easy. That's easy. Wow. I'm impressed. Those guys impressed. are all so, I mean, I, you know, they're all, I mean, you know, if you're going to be on Mount Rushmore, you should be a prolific artist. And those guys are all prolific artists. They don't write any crap, you know. I mean, they're just, they're all great writers. Definitely. And uh, the final question, you're going to add one more person to that Mount Rushmore. This is a non-musician member of the community. Who's that going to be? Oh, my gosh. A member of the Parrothead community, obviously, right? Yeah, Parrothead, Trap Rock community, you know, event person, radio people, somebody who contributes uh, without being a musician. And 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 the criteria would be what they mean to me personally. Yes, this is your personal Mount Rushmore. So, Steve Huntington, Steve Huntington from Radio Margaritaville. Without he question. is. You're the fourth or fifth person to mention him. So, yeah, he's yeah, he's. Yeah. Tremendous. Great friend, but also just, I mean, the work that he's done and the knowledge. I mean, he has so much knowledge about, I mean, I, I just, I gravitate towards people who are smarter than I am. Yeah. You know, who know more stuff than I am. I mean, I just, I love to listen to stories like, you know, Steve can tell stories. Tom Corcoran can tell stories. You know, Keith Sykes can tell stories, you know, Roger Bartlett, Doyle Grisham. I love these guys, man. It's just like, <laughs> I, I'm just like a kid in a candy shop when I get to hang out with these guys. And Steve is Steve is definitely the he's the man. I love Steve. He's on my hit list to try to get on this podcast, so I may have to enlist your help at some point. To sure. Make that happen. Oh, I'm, so. I'm sure he would. I'm sure he would. Well, John Frenzy, man, I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, I've enjoyed it. Hope you had a good time. So, oh, John, I had a great time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Man. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Take care. <laughs>